You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is a bi-monthly analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, James Bond's the target of an international assassin in 1974's The Man with the Golden Gun. James Bond. Hello, everybody. We're back for another edition of the Bondzilla podcast. I am Nick. And I'm Will. And uh, it's time for more Bond Bond fun. Time for more. Yeah. Got nothing for that one. Yeah, no, I think it, I think uh, we'll we'll get into that one. So it's time to uh, it's son of Godzilla now son of Bond, son of Bondzilla. Yeah, <laughs> Bondzilla Junior. What, what number of Bond are we on? This is the now? ninth James Bond. The sure. ninth, really? Yeah, the ninth movie. It is. And you know, thinking about where we have to go in, like at least with the Godzilla franchise, I feel like we haven't even cracked the surface yet oh with and with bond it's just like it's just nine movies in and i'm still i'm 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 simultaneously just ecstatic and excited but also just wary and fearful and <laughs> exhausted at the I same mean, time this, this is gonna this is kind of a hump movie to be to yeah. be honest with you um it it's gonna be very interesting to talk about this one because as i teased last time at the end and we might not get to this till the end of the episode, so keep listening, folks. Uh, but this this is a bit of a transition uh, for the Bond team. Uh, so this is actually a very important film to talk about in terms of the, the evolution mm-hmm. of this franchise. And you might not expect that considering what this movie is. Mm-hmm. So are we ready to talk about this movie? Yes, we yes, We haven't even we mentioned the name of the movie yet. Oh, yeah. It's Man with the Golden Gun. The Man with the Golden Gun. That's the... That's... My version of the song. Probably a better version of the song. Golden Gun. <laughs> He's the man. The man with the, the golden, golden gun. gun. Uh, from 1974. His gun is gold. <laughs> yeah, and once again from 1974 and once again from director Guy Hamilton. Same year as the infamous California Gold Rush. <laughs> <laughs> If you're dyslexic, maybe. I don't mean to offend with that, folks. I don't think Nick has ever looked so perplexed by completely wrong information. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, Guy Hamilton's back. Mr. Guy Hamilton wanted the rights to the Bond franchise. Okay. Wanted to do one more Bond franchise. Is this Guy Hamilton's last Bond? It is. He's like, I got to make my mark. Well, which, he didn't expect it to be his last bond, but I, again, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, so, Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Ready to talk about some production? Man with the Golden Gun. All right. Let's talk about Man with the Golden Gun. Man with the Golden Gun. All right. Um, well, <laughs> Man with the Golden Gun. Man with the Golden Gun. All right. So, United Artists. Mm-hmm. These uh, the production company that associates with Broccoli and Saltzman are super ecstatic 
about the success of Live and Let Die. Mm -hmm. You know, that it made more, you know, they were worried that it wasn't going to make as much money without Connery, and it made more money than Diamonds Are Forever. So they are like, let's get right into this. Like, when a movie makes more money than Diamonds, you chase after that success. You, Tiffany chase after that. (laughs) Uh, But they are ecstatic. They, they are back in, all in on the Bond franchise. They were a little weary for a little bit, uh, but now they're all back in. They know they have Roger Moore back, and they think that he is a part of that success of that first movie. So they want uh, Eon Productions, Broccoli and Saltzman to get right into the production. Mm-hmm. Kind of a flashback to what we had earlier in the Bond franchise where you know you had these films coming one a year after the other. Same thing with this one. They wanted... To, uh, live and it die in 1973 they were ready for another christmas release in 1974 for the next movie they were going to make in fact the first shot of this movie uh was shot five months after the release of, oh wow uh live and let die oh so we, we have ourselves a uh a godzilla production on our hands yes. a, a godzilla-esque turnaround well, like i said i mean for for broccoli and saltzman uh this is a little new for guy because he only did golden uh goldfinger not mm-hmm. goldeneye he did not do goldeneye he did goldfinger mm-hmm. uh and that one he was the one off and then they did thunderball the next year but for broccoli and saltzman we gotta remember those first five bond movies one year after the other uh so they're 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 got the experience and they're ready to go for it um again now so now it's time to decide what kind of story they want to tell Mm -hmm. they still have a lot of bond books on the table and they decide to go with ian fleming's final bond book oh the man with the golden gun the man with a golden gun uh it was uh the only bond book released after his death that was written by him. And it's, in terms of the book, there is some controversy as to whether or not Fleming actually finished the book or if it was finished for him after his death so they could kind of uh, rise under the success of the Bond franchise and get some more money for the Fleming estate. Okay. Generally, it's accepted that Fleming <laughs> did write the book, though. It is noted in his own uh, personal notes that he was not happy with the finished product of the book. Of the book, okay. Because yeah. he didn't live to see the movie. <laughs> I mean, maybe in the afterlife if you believe in that sort of thing which some people don't. I, I, uh, do you want an answer <laughs> no um i was expecting your other it, it, co-host to just pop in and start <laughs> talking about ghosts so uh first you know they decide on that book uh it, it's brought up by mankowitz again you know mankowitz chose live and let die mm-hmm. because he wanted to work with with african-american villains uh and thought it would be cool uh for man with the golden gun he found uh the idea of the character of scaramanga Mm-hmm. Uh, who is the main villain of this movie? Yes. Uh, as uh, Edward Scaramanga, inter- as a very interesting idea for a character uh, that um, you know could be like the dark side of Bond, like Bond's equal in some ways, where he's just if Bond was a little bit more on the dark side, this kind of that right. high assassin for hire type of thing. Uh, and actually, the character of Scaramanga is pretty altered from the books, uh, just because in the books he's more just of an American thug who just kind of kills people for money here they present him as Mankiewicz has this idea of as he's an, like an artist and he wants to be he's kind of high society he wants to be known as like the greatest of all time as it were mm-hmm. uh so that's really what's inspired Mankiewicz uh but Mankiewicz does get burned out uh from writing basically three straight bond pictures writing diamonds are forever writing this one uh and writing live and let die uh, so they bring back uh, the Richard Maybaum who wrote the first five, the six Bond movies, uh, to 
basically bring that kind of Maybaum-ish classic Bond kind of to the script. Uh, but Mankiewicz actually gets brought back after Maybaum's script because uh, they want more one-liners for Roger Moore. Gotta have the one-liners. Especially with Moore's Bond. Yeah. Um, and just as note too, Michael G. Wilson, who is the current producer of uh, the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his first work as a screenwriter for the franchise. Um, he helped Maybaum come up with some of the scientific f- facts uh, for the uh, <laughs> the solar energy stuff that you see right, in right. the movie. Uh, but Ma- Wilson's going to become a major player within the Bond franchise, so it's no- important to note that this is his first kind of foray into actual the creative side of things. Okay, cool. Um, so they're trying to come up with a location because one of the things they love about these movies is coming up with a different and unique location for every one of the movies. Uh, the book, Now with the Golden Gun. Man. With the Golden Gun. Uh, takes place mostly in Jamaica, and they had already used Jamaica again in Dr. No and already had an inspiration for it for Live and Let Die, and they did not want to use it again. Uh, they considered Iran, but Iran broke out in the war, so that wasn't going to work. Uh, they considered Lebanon, but also they were like, this is no good. <laughs> There's nothing here. We don't want it here. Yeah. Uh, and so Guy Hamilton finally suggests. I'm just imagining the broccolis like in their giant chair and then like all these like, you know, uh, scouts from different like parts of the world are come like, come shoot a bond at our place. <laughs> and he's like, no away with you. We don't want the Lebanese. <laughs> Not today, sir. Thank you. Uh, so it's Hamilton that suggests going to Southeast Asia, kind of the Thailand Saigon, Vietnam area. What did you just say? Thailand. Thailand? Thailand. It's Thailand. <laughs> it is Thailand. Okay. Yeah. Couldn't let that one go. No, I can't. <laughs> I admit my mistakes. My tongue kind of slipped a little bit. Okay, uh, Thailand, ahead. Saigon, Vietnam, that area of the world. Uh, he felt that it had been kind of unexplored in film. There were a lot. Uh, he had seen some nature footage and documentaries about it. It felt like there was a, mm-hmm. a great place to, to kind of try to make a Bond movie. So as they're developing their cast of characters, of course, we have our cast. This is always one of my favorite parts of these is kind of going through the cast list. James Bond. Obviously, Roger Moore returns as James Bond, Bernard Lee as M, Lois Maxwell as Moneypenny. Uh, But they do have to cast... The gang's back together. They do have to cast the villain, Francisco Scarabunga. And uh, originally, Mankiewicz wanted legendary actor Jack Palance, uh, but Mm -hmm. Jack Palance denied uh, wanting to roll. He did not want to roll. Uh, but it was uh, Guy Hamilton who decided on uh, who they ended up casting in the movie. Christopher, Christopher Lee. Lee. Saruman himself. So the reason Hamilton wanted to cast Christopher Lee is that at this point in his career, Christopher Lee was most known for the Dracula series right. of films mm-hmm. uh, by Hammer uh, Studios over in London. And Hamilton knew that Lee was a fantastic actor and wanted to see him kind of do something else other than Dracula because he had made like three or four or five Dracula movies at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lee immediately accepted the role uh, partially because Christopher Lee was Ian Fleming's cousin. Oh, interesting. Uh, so Count Dooku was the original James Bond's cousin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, according to Christopher Lee, uh, Ian Fleming wanted Christopher Lee to play the role of Dr. No in Dr. No because they were okay. good friends. Yeah. Uh, but Ian Fleming literally just forgot to tell Cubby and Saltzman that, that the idea, and so they had already casted uh, Dr. No at a point uh, by that time. Uh, but Lee was a very good friends with Fleming and as well as cousins. Uh, they went golfing all together, so he was honored to be a part of this franchise, a part of F. Fleming's work, and continue that. Uh, so he was very excited for that. 
All right, so we have our two women now mm. in this movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Brit at brick at heart. Uh-huh. Excuse me. She's Bri- She's a brick at heart. Brit at heart. Uh, is she's is a, a Brit at heart? Like she's like she's she, you she, could she's say British that. at heart. Yeah. She <laughs> could. Uh, she wanted to uh, play the role of Mary Goodnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had always wanted to be a Bond girl since seeing Ursula Andress and Dr. No. Mm-hmm. And so when they, when she, that found, makes a lot of sense how this character yeah. is played. <laughs> so when she found out that they were making man with the golden gun, she set up a meeting. She herself set up a meeting with Cubby Broccoli mm-hmm. and said, I want to play Mary Goodnight. And Broccoli told her, well, you know, with a lot of these, with the books, cause in, in the book, Mary Goodnight is Bond's secretary, but she has a relatively small role. And, Broccoli was like, well, sometimes we don't adapt all the characters in the movie. We might not put Mary Goodnight in. She is a small role in the book. And so, disappointed, Eckhart leaves for America to do a different movie. Meanwhile, they also have to cast the role of Andrea Anders, uh, Scaramanga's mistress. Uh, and she is played by Maud Adams, a Swedish chef model. Oh. <laughs> uh, and Brick Eckhart is also Swedish. Uh, so... In the States, Eckhart reads that Maude Adams had gotten a role in the new Bond movie mm-hmm. and was very upset because mm-hmm. Eckhart is also Swedish. She felt like, I wanted this role. Yeah. I, I, I begged for this role. I didn't get this role. But when she returned to London, she found that she had a script sent to her with the note from Cubby Broccoli that she indeed would be playing the role of Mary Goodnight if she wanted to, and she did. Gotcha. So everything worked out. Because don't worry, because they're like, you know, we're filling this movie with women. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we also have Knickknack. Ah, good old Knickknack. So Knickknack was a Guy Hamilton idea. And <laughs> the reason being that Guy wanted another odd job essentially okay or, or something he wanted to kind of find something similar it was like an odd job-esque idea for guy uh they cast a french painter turned actor mm-hmm. named hervé villachasses it's not how you say it hervé javier no it's hervé oh it is hervé it is hervé okay villachasses i think that's how you say it okay fair I mean, enough it's yeah. a french name okay uh he was a french painter uh, also a very noted womanizer. <laughs> he, Wait, did you? I don't think you've mentioned the most notable fact about oh, him. Oh, yeah, you? no, I have not. <laughs> He's three feet tall. Yeah, you're kind of burying the lead on this one. I mean, if you've ever seen Fantasy Island. He, no, that's yeah. the famous thing he's from. He's like, the plane. Yeah, plane. He's, he's tattoo on Fantasy Island. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, but yes, now you can imagine he is a very notorious womanizer. Yeah. Uh, he... <laughs> He was constantly flirting with all the women on set. Uh-huh. Uh, he especially loved Maud Adams and tried desperately to uh, have them get together. Uh, did not work out. Uh, but it was noted by most you, of one, the cast. One could even say he, uh, in that regard, he came up a little bit short. It was noted <laughs> by... Oh, my God. Oh, good. Good, good greatness. I mean, in all fairness, I have to give you props because you were looking at him... Uh, strictly for his talent that you just went right by the height thing. The height You're thing, just yeah. like mentioning all these I other just things. I do want to say that it was noted by most of the cast that uh, Hervé would always be out really late <laughs> with uh, <laughs> certain women 
that he might pay for to have a, have a good time out there. <laughs> Women in, of the night in uh out there in uh, the places they chose. Uh, Hong and they wasn't and, and it was in Thailand and and, and, and in Bangkok. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, Wait, so this is a completely original character made for the movie. Yes. Okay. Is there any, I think, like, knick-knack is such, like, a terrible thing to call a a small person. Mm-hmm. Like, is the only more rude name Mini-Me at that <laughs> point? <laughs> like, that's the only way you could get even worse than knick-knack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and then to kind of wrap up the uh, casting real quick mm-hmm. we have the return of clifton james oh boy as jw oh, pepper uh which quote, a uh, quote-unquote popular character uh, not really i will i will save this i will save that for the essentially but uh, why why did he why is he back honestly do you want to know the honest answer I, because yes i do make Winston guy hamilton liked working with him and thought yeah. that he was fun. Make Wentz had fun writing him. Guy Hamilton had fun directing him. And they just kind of were like, well, why not? Uh, so they start filming uh, the film proper uh, in early uh, 1974. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they start with the filming on uh, what becomes Scaramanga's Island uh, hideout, which is a set of islands in uh, off the coast of uh, Thailand. Uh, called the Kaung Ping Ka Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very remote island at the time. It was like a very small native village on the island with a single landing strip, uh, no hot water, that sort of thing. The thing is, in, uh, there are no hotels on the island for them to stay at. Uh, but the cast doesn't know this. Okay. Because what Guy Hamilton ends up doing is that he, for the two weeks that they're shooting on this island he rents out a brothel a local brothel essentially he pays all the women from the brothel to go out on vacation go out somewhere have a good time he basically tells everybody that they're staying at a hotel uh-huh. uh and basically renting out this hotel and christopher sees that like years later we were just talking about it and the guy's like oh yeah no that was a brothel that we stayed at <laughs> Uh, that we just kind of did. <laughs> Meanwhile, Nick, Nick, Nick's like, nobody told me. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> uh, so we have just two more quick uh, production stories. I think they, I mean, they, they shoot kind of all over the place. They shoot Hong Kong, Bangkok, uh, all over Thailand, Macau for the casino scenes. Um, early in the writing process, when they're doing uh, research for the movie, uh, Mankiewicz and Saltzman are in Thailand and they're seeing a elephant, basically uh, elephants used as, as work, like uh, mm-hmm. yeah. plowing, like taking trees out and plowing. And Saltzman just gets this idea for like an elephant stampede sequence where Bond and Scaramanga are like on the back of these elephants and they're like chasing each other. Okay. Uh, and Mankiewicz like, but there's no elephant thing in the movie. And Saltzman's like, we'll, we'll put one in. We got it. Uh, like it's so, like what the running of the bulls, but it's going to be the running for the elephants. <laughs> so Saltzman finds out uh, from some of the locals that when elephants are doing these sorts of work, they need these special kind of elephant shoes to protect them from kind of the gravelly roads. Mm-hmm. So uh, offhandedly, Saltzman's like to uh, to one of his assistants, like, "Get me two hundred pairs of elephant shoes." Like just as an offhanded comment. So they're in the middle of production in Thailand. And one morning, their Thailand production coordinator 
uh, is coming up to Broccoli and Mankiewicz, who are on location. And he's like, okay, so we're going to start at 7 o'clock this morning. We're going to be – our cars will be picked up at 6.30. Uh, so we'll, that's what we'll begin. And oh, by the way, your elephant shoes came in yesterday. <laughs> and Broccoli is confused as hell. He's like – what are you talking about? What elephant shoes? And Mankiewicz knows immediately. It's like, oh, the elephant shoes. Saltzman wanted an elephant stampede. Brockley's like, there's no elephant stampede. And Mankiewicz, I know. So they turned out that Brock uh, Saltzman and his assistant ordered 200 pairs of these shoes. Okay. That they weren't going to use. And Broccoli did not want to pay for these shoes, even though they had ordered them. And allegedly, Eon Productions did not fully pay off uh, the debt of the elephant shoes until Goldeneye came out. <laughs> That's so long. I know. They just kept That's paying years. it. That's years. It's, it's years. Wait, explain. What is? What do you mean? What's an elephant shoe? So it's just a special shoe. Like when elephants, they do like, when they do like elephant races or when elephants are working in, in kind of <laughs> untraditional locations for elephants. Right. They need a special pair of shoes that protect their feet so that they can kind of do all this. Oh, for the elephants. For the elephants, yes. Oh, I thought these were like a special type of shoe that human beings oh, wear. Oh, no, no. Like, they did not need 200 <laughs> pairs of human shoes. Because Tulfin was imagining this like, oh, there's going to be like 30 elephants and they're Wait, all like running I'm just around. just imagining there's a warehouse just full of elephant shoes. That they can't get rid of. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Is it like a giant boot? <laughs> like I don't like. I, I do not know. Here, I kinda, continue. Continue your story. I'm gonna, gonna look at what. Shoe. I'm gonna look at what an uh, elephant so, shoe looks like. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a very infamous story. Uh, but the biggest story of this production... Ooh, what, this is what, the one I'm looking forward what to. What we're going to end on is the jump. The car jump. Oh, boy. Uh, wait, can I can I explain what this is? Can this you just get, explain this the gets, jump? This gets in a little bit of the movie, but you wanted to tell the story uh, pre-movie discussion, and I have to mention this because this is maybe, you know, we'll get into our thoughts of the movie, but this may be one of the greatest Bond moments in cinema, at least top ten. Yeah. You know, I, I will back off and say maybe not top five, okay. but top ten. top ten. Like, you are a fool if you like James Bond you don't think this is you a great fool. James Bond moment moment um essentially there is a car chase uh, a pretty good car chase i think uh but there's this car chase and at one point the uh pursuer or the pursuee the pursuee <laughs> ends up because that's the person being pursued yeah the pursued right. is that uh, ends up on the opposite side of essentially a river and bond is on the other side <laughs> And he has to get to the other side really quick. So, Nick, he could go all the way to the end of the river and cross the bridge. But why do that when there's a broken kind of half-pipe bridge that you could drive through? Yeah. So what Bond does is backs up and drives over this broken bridge in which his car proceeds to do a corkscrew motion accompanied... By a slide whistle. <laughs> so indeed, we will play it later. But essentially, you get this car flipping Fast and the Furious style with boo, sits <laughs> down. Explain this to me, Nick. Okay, so it begins with a man named Jay Milligan. Okay, uh, Jay Milligan was a race car driver turned stunt driver who produced a series of stunt driving shows for America. Uh, he discovered a simulation by students at Cornell University, uh, proving that you could do basically a full rotation of a car flip. 
and started to perform it at shows at the Houston Astrodome in Houston. And it was a stunt that uh, was one of those things that was advertised as you have to see to believe it. It had never really been captured on camera before. And Saltzman and Broccoli heard rumors about this. So they called up Milligan one day when Milligan was meeting with the uh, stunt producer of the previous Bond movie. Okay. And so literally they're in a meeting. They're having lunch or something. And Milligan takes a call. It's like, hey, it's Cubby Broccoli. We want you... uh, are you the guy who does that flip stunt, that, that rotation stunt? And Milligan's like, yeah, it's like, all right, we want that in the next Bond movie. And so he has to like kind of quickly dismiss the other, the previous Bond stunt man <laughs> to like basically confirm that he'll do this for the movie. So Saltzman uh, and Broccoli and Milligan actually meet with the folks at the Cornell University who did the simulation. And they all come up with a way like how they could actually do this uh, for the film. Because uh, the idea is that the, the car is going to jump over water. Okay. And so they get a stuntman named Bumps Willard. Okay. Uh, to actually do the stunt. Good old Bumps. But so they set up by the specifications of the simulation. And this is one of the first times that computer simulations were used for a stunt in a film. And it's actually rumored uh, that Cubby and Saltzman tried to patent the stunt because they didn't want any other movies to do it first. They Mm -hmm. wanted it to be the Bond special. But everybody was super nervous about this. Because first of all, this stunt had only been done like once or twice before this. And successfully, but like still, once or twice. Never on camera. Two, now that they were doing it over water that gets to a whole lot more issues Mm -hmm. because one, you know, the stunt driver is locked in with a three piece harness and a seatbelt. If the car doesn't flip and he falls straight in the water, you have a stunt man in a three piece seatbelt stuck underneath the water, Mm -hmm. especially because of the way they have him do it. They actually have it. So there are fake, there's a fake bond and a fake JW temper in the car Mm -hmm. and bumps is actually basically laid out and has is laying out basically on his belly to hide himself but still doing the flip has the steering wheel in the center the car has to be perfectly balanced if it is off balance by one second or one whatever it's no good so they are picking all the precautions necessary they have divers in the water they have a crane offset to get the car right out everybody is just watching this all the actors come on set that day even though they're not necessary more lee eckhart everybody's there because they gotta see this happen (laughs) okay so first take is perfect okay it's a huge success everything went perfectly more like hugged bumps and said like you made me look so good like as a a, kind of a joke but as real like everybody was so relieved hamilton's like that looked too good should we do another take and Uh bumps is like hell no okay i did it once i'm not going to do it again so guy is concerned because he feels like the stunt went across so well that nobody is going to take it seriously (laughs) so john barry the, the composer uh, returning for, oh, no. uh, for his first Bond movie uh, in a while, I think, or at least since Diamonds, um, decides on that note to add the slide whistle. Because why? 
for whatever reason, they this felt, doesn't explain anything. Again, for whatever reason, they're like, no one's going to take this seriously. Let's just make a joke out of it anyways. <laughs> what? <laughs> can, you, can you imagine if like Mad Max Fury Road was made with that logic? And it's just this stunt looks too good, right? And it's like where everybody talks about how that's a movie where all these car stunts look amazing. And could you imagine if they're like, oh, I don't know, these look r- way too good. Nobody's going to take it seriously. They just make jokes out of it. And then like all the motorcycles are just like boing, 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 woo, woo, woo. <laughs> Cubby was against the slide whistle, but decided to just get the better judgment of his director in this case. Everybody. No, re- see, that's when you, you as a producer to, have to step is in. like you're you're out of your you're so wrong, this Mr. Is, director. This Mr. Is, Guy Hamilton. This is why we shouldn't give directors absolute power. This is why you need producers. <laughs> this is why the Hollywood system exists to prevent things like this from happening. But Every- that being said, it is one of the best moments in James yeah. Bond. <laughs> yeah. Uh everybody regrets the slide whistle. Barry, Hamilton, and Broccoli all would say later that it's one of their biggest regrets of the films is adding that slide whistle. It's just how could you put that into the movie, rewatch the movie again? I'm assuming multiple times before it gets released and not regret it like sooner. Yeah, it's 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 it is it's quite strange, well. It's quite strange. Oh man. Uh with that, that's you know, pretty much uh, what I have for the production side. Oh man. Of this movie. Well let let's um let let's uh go let's uh, feed off of this high I'm having on this slide whistle so I can continue to goof around on the man with the golden gun. He's got a golden gun. Yeah. The bridge is that way! You're not thinking that. I sure am, boy. Ever heard of Evil Knievel? And we're back. Oh, yeah, that was right on time too. Was it? Yeah. Oh, we're back. <laughs> yeah, we're back. <laughs> All right, we are back to talk about um, who should I do some this time? I'll do a Randy Newman. Got a man, shiny little pistol. <laughs> Turns out it's a gun. It's the man with the golden gun. <laughs> that, that, that that's my. That's, that's the actual insane. song for this movie was done by a woman named Lulu. Yeah. Uh, Alice Cooper wrote a song for it. Saltzman wanted Elton John, but they got Lulu. This, well, I guess we'll start right from the beginning. Um, like, the song in this movie does kind of sound like, oh, yeah, we need a song yeah. for the man with the golden gun. Yes. And it's like, hey, listen, you, Lulu, over there, can you sing a James Bond song? But make sure you say "man with the golden gun" in it, and that's kind of what yeah. <laughs> this sounds not, like. Not one okay. Of the best. All right. Here, here. Uh, you know what? Uh, to start, I mean, I, I noticed this when we previewed it in the last episode or last couple of episodes, but this is noted as being one of the worst Bond films ever. It's, okay, it, it is a least favorite among. So Bond I was fans. I was going to ask you because I didn't want to get into the post the into the post release the release of it because I was going to ask. From what I've heard from you and other uh, of um, 
just various other people that this does seem to be considered to be one of the worst yeah. Bonds. Even worse than our previous uh, outing with Bond, yeah. which was Live and Let Die. Live and let die. Uh, that is incorrect. <laughs> this is not worse than Live and Let Die. Yeah, well, I'm going to disagree with you. Live and Let Die I'm, is like, so much worse than this movie. I'm going to say it right now, <laughs> and there are some people that are listening that probably won't agree. But man, does this movie <laughs> suck. <laughs> this is, I went into this with an open mind as I do with all these movies because I've already been surprised by Diamonds Are Forever, which yeah. is another movie that is not well respected by its people in the Bond fandom specifically. I felt that that movie was a whole lot of fun. I just could not get on board with this movie. I just, <laughs> we'll talk about it more specifics why. But man, this movie did not grab me at all. So here's the thing. I hear you. But coming off of see, I already forgot what was the name of the Live last and Let Die. <laughs> Live and Let Die. Uh like coming off of that movie, like it, this movie just it, it just it just stands on top of the previous effort in various ways, and it's instantly more memorable for a lot of bad reasons, mind you. <laughs> like, definitely not a lot of, for what I would say are some quality things and a lot of regrettable things as well. But this in, in no way is worse than the, the just the, the slog, the incoherent See, racist slog that was, but, that was I mean, live like and let to, die. To go just on the, on the other side just of that. The like, nonsense. The, the live and let die has enough nonsense and it enough... does it though it doesn't have a lot to of me nonsense. it does to me it has enough nonsense where i would watch uh-huh. live and let die again i would i would put it on just for the fact that bond fucked the future out of a woman he, I would, we don't know if that she could tell the future this movie has no tension <laughs> this every like this is hamilton's worst directed movie like there's just no scenes of tension Everything just kind of happens and just nothing other than the car flip and that car chase, which is pretty fine. Everything else in this movie is just like, no, I just can't get on board with this. I, you know what? I, I, you know what? I, you know what? Because I'm feeling this way. Feel this way tonight. I'm going to spice things up a little bit. I'm going to be on the opposite side of you on this one. I'm going to fight you on this one. Okay. I fight. think this is a completely fine, fun movie that's extremely dated <laughs> gives into a lot of the worst elements of bond but because it's kind of like a goofy just bonkers bond movie See, that's the thing though that's the thing i don't find this that goofy it, i mean i mean it's it is silly it has a slide whistle yeah it. how is that not goofy but like the, i don't know I, like a car at one point drives into a garage and comes out with a plane attached to it what more do you need? <laughs> uh, let's just let's talk more about the movie. Okay, so the the plot of the movie is essentially, and you know what? I'll I'll even go by say like I thought like the 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 plot was fine, but it I could follow it. <laughs> so maybe that's maybe why maybe, I'm maybe that's on why it. you like it. Uh, no, so the man with the golden gun is targeting James Bond, who is this. Uh, as we have established, I mean, we really didn't talk about it in specifics, but 
so Scaramanga is essentially this world famous hitman. Yeah, assassin who, for million dollars a hit. Yeah, who? Yeah, and that's like his big thing is like he's so good at his job that he charges a million dollars a hit, and he always puts the name of the person that he's about to assassinate on his bullets, and basically MI6 gets word and get, basically gets a message that he's going to be after James Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, so James Bond's like on this other mission about like some energy crisis going on that doesn't really matter even though it comes into play later and he's like all right well what if I get the drop on this man with the golden gun first and uh, that goes on a mission to stop with the man of the golden gun and then it turns out that he's also involved in this energy crisis thing and the movie is a James Bond movie Mm -hmm. from then on out yeah but here's the thing I, I will say this because first scenes first the first scenes usually do come first, but the first scene right out the gate, I was like, okay, like we're we're doing some new stuff. We're starting like there's this little kind of prologue, this cold open with Scaramanga the villain, uh, and you know it kind of introduces our villains in a fun, interesting way. I have to be honest, I think this is some of the more fun villains that we've had I mean, in the, a while. The one thing that I will say about this movie, and I. We'll go into the saying, I don't think it hits all the potential that the characters have, but Christopher Lee as Scaramanga is a lot of fun, and it's really the one takeaway from this movie right. that I like. I can, I, I, can, I can give. I think that he clearly is having fun. He's relishing the role. He's a great actor. I think he brings kind of that flair uh, and that great villain nature to him. Uh, that kind of makes him stand out above all else in this movie. Right, and they kind of, like, I think that they kind of, like, do this, like, fun thing. So, because it opens up with this, Scaramanga and Knickknack kind of have, like, this kind of uh, rivalry, but partnership where it's kind of, uh, it's a mutually beneficial rivalry almost where Knickknack hires, like, these, like, assassins to try to take out Scaramanga, and it's kind of like this one thing, it's implied that, Scaramanga allows this so he can like you know sharpen his skills and he knows like oh he's always on the top of his game but then also like oh but that that assassin gets Scaramanga then Knickknack is going to basically inherit the fortune of Scaramanga and his island and everything so it's kind of like this I thought that was interesting I thought and I thought like and honestly you know what I will take a Knickknack over an odd job any day it's like it's odd job with like kind of like a cool little fun personality. Again, it's not like over the top. They could have done more with it, but I could like follow the character as a character, and uh, um, it just you know, and yeah, I just I, I just kind of I also liked his style too. <laughs> yeah, so they kill off uh, a, a Chicago mobster. Yeah, uh, who apologizes for shooting on an Al Capone dummy? Oh, so but here's the thing I will say. I'm looking at my notes. Here's the thing I will say about Scaramanga. In in a very this is maybe the biggest tradition with Bond villains. It's too many quirks. It's too like okay. So he's the man with the golden gun. So he has a golden gun, but his also his big uh, notable kind of thing he's known for is having a third nipple. So he has a third nipple. Um, there, there was another thing. Oh, and then he brings his prey into this like movie set fun house that he has to, to like, like he's the fucking Joker. Like, and so he can play his elaborate games. It's too many quirks. 
Who is this guy? He's Scaramanga. It's like with the the guy last time. You know, he's got like the voodoo stuff going on. He's also like, you know, in Harlem. He's got disguises. And now he's like, oh, now he likes sharks. Like, you, you pick a thing. Pick a thing, Nick. Pick a thing. Yeah. That's what makes it a Bond villain. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Inconsistency. Yeah, this no, is why they can't not, win. Not, they not, want it all. They want it all. And I they want it, it now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the third nipple kind of comes into play. The golden comes into play. The fun house is, comes into play. It's all but there. But the nipple doesn't really come into play, though, which is which was very odd. Because so in the, early in the movie, they show you what the third nipple looks like, mm-hmm. like, like very early yeah, on. Yeah, they do. Uh, and then later on in the movie, Bond has to go in disguise as Scaramanga, and they show him with his shirt because he's kind of like silently confirming like he's like in disguise as Scaramanga by uh like having a third nipple attached mm-hmm. to him. Yeah. Um but they clearly show that the third nipple is not in the same place as that we saw on the real Scaramanga earlier. Yeah. So instantly you think that oh like that's going to be the giveaway that they know he's not Scaramanga. So which is like makes sense. But as the movie goes on, it kind of seems like Scaramanga like pulled a Darth Vader and Empire and was already there before. Yeah. And so, like, James Bond wasn't fooling anybody well, anyway. No, yeah. The thing so is, it's well, very is, weird. Like, <laughs> like, allegedly, Scaramanga never meets with his clients. He always does it through a third party. True, yeah. So nobody supposedly well, uh, yeah, knows. You know, that makes sense. Nobody third party, knows what Scaramanga. Third nipple. Yeah. <laughs> what? I thought you know were going to say something. I, I was trying to think of what I wanted to say. All right, I'll, I'll so go the fun, on. The fun I'll go on. Is, I, like, I like the cold open. Uh, I like the movie opening up, and it shows that James Bond is actually smart and not just an alcoholic. Like oh, you he, mean when he recites Scaramanga's Wikipedia page? Yeah, you know, because it's a little bit more, like, I like seeing that, like, he's like, what do you know about Scaramanga? And then he just, like, he knows everything about him instantly, and it's a little bit more than, like, like, in earlier movies, he would be like... Oh, like that is like this type of whiskey from this year, and it was done in this barrel made from a tree that you know that you know um, Susan and Jimmy wrote a heart on at one point. Like he knows like everything about the alcohol he's drinking, and then literally in the same sentence he's like, "Well, what do you know about asteroids?" And he's like, oh, "I've never even heard of them." <laughs> like it's like, That's like not what happens? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm you know a little hyperbole, obviously, but like he like movie does get like right into <laughs> there. There is no fluffing around once yeah. they did post credits the literally the first shot after the credits are over is bond walking into m's office um yeah so bond basically recites scaramanga's entire life story yeah that he grew up in a circus uh i like it i like that the- bond's on top of his shit uh and m's like yeah Maybe, I, like, I do have the question does m just want bond dead i think it's just like because he's like oh like i thought the because because basically the little head bond Scaramanga is shooting near Bond, but he actually shoots uh, yeah. the guy that Bond was looking for earlier with with the basically the the solar energy yeah, that takes so, the power to take the sun, the solar plexus or whatever. It yeah, is. It, it's it's the guy that that's kind of where the energy crisis plot yeah. kind of weaves into the main plot. And, and Bond's like, then then they figure out that like oh the they wanted this energy thing. They're trying to make a deal for this like special energy device that he has. And basically, when he's dead, they find that this device has been taken from his pocket. 
and Bond's like, but it, you know, it's like, oh, it could have been me that was dead, and he would have had the solar plexus or whatever. And it's yeah. like, I wish you. Like, yeah, he d- like, essentially said, I forget the line, but essentially he says, like, I wish you had died too. Like, like, what is his problem? I, so the thing then is, I think I just think that like M gets all these mission reports from Bond. You're right, and just is like. What is go- voodoo? Really? So, okay, I made the joke during the screening that like at some point M's just gonna put like a tweet out that's like, uh, I like I I never realized that Bond was was doing. Oh yeah, this, he's like, doing like a classic like a uh, like a studio head. Like he's like it's like I I was like I didn't know. I'm so perplexed by this awful oh, behavior. We we, we apologize. <laughs> but we're, we're gonna investigate the matter. Exactly. Like it, it's so because it's in, definitely you could see M making that tweet. Oh, but can I? I honestly I don't know. Like maybe I did enjoy this movie a lot more, but this definitely has like. I think a very geniusly edited written moment in this movie to like, this is probably now one of my favorite bond kind of moments in a movie, but this happens middle of the movie in which we've just seen the corkscrew slide whistle bit, this giant car chase. You know, we've just been introduced to like a man with a third nipple and a golden gun. Uh, He literally like, he used there's this scene where the man with the golden gun is using like a dead woman as a prop essentially as bait <laughs> like that you don't know is dead in the middle of a crowd uh a car <laughs> goes into a garage comes out a plane flies off into the distance and then it cuts into M's office and Bond's like and that's pretty much the, all there is to report. <laughs> and I, like, that's that's a that's genius. funny. It's, it's that's good. actually no, it's a good. really funny moment. Um, <laughs> because like that's also like Ev does not know what's going. Man, on. I just have a lot of thoughts coming through my head about um, this movie. Okay, let me let me mention some quick little hits as we build up to this because this is kind of like going chronologically in the movie. Um, uh, I you know what again. There is a moment in this movie where it did kind of drop off for me and, like, if I'm going to be objective about it. Um, but um, I did like the little, like, so Bond goes to visit, like, the guy who makes specialty guns for yeah. people. Like, I thought that was, like, an effective, yeah, like, also, yeah, Bond's an interrogator, but he's also kind of clever. Uh, like yeah, It is kind of good Bond. Yeah, and it, and it builds the world in an interesting way where it's, like, you know, Bond, like, you may be good at that, like, you know that factory line Walter PPK or whatever, but it's like, you know, I make special guns for like people with like three fingers. Special guns for special people. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Cause the main one is he has a gun that he's building for a man that like has lost two of his fingers, like lost his trigger finger. Yeah. So basically the, his idea, his idea as he presents it, like, Oh, like I have it. So it's weighted so that if he puts the more weight on the, you know, it's, if you put it with a normal finger or a normal trigger finger, it'll shoot like an inch too high right but with the weight of the three fingers it'll actually measure down better so it's just like that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so th- this will but i i did like that scene a lot i actually would like to see a character like that come back in the new bond movies i kind of like smuggler characters like that because you get you can get like a fun actor in the role and uh it just reminds like now that doing this podcast like you and i should just go pitch for the next bond movie we should why is J.W. Pepper in this movie? I don't know. Because well. he's like more explicit. Like I actually looked it up, and I guess he's not technically saying a racial slur, but it's coming off as a racial slur. What are you saying like coney heads? What is he saying? Well, he's calling people pointy heads. Yeah. Which I looked it up, and I can't confirm that it's strictly a racial slur. But hey, but as- the fact that he is in also why is he in enti- why is he yeah, in that's, Asia? That, is, that is the thing though. Why like, is it makes, he of all people it, it there? It makes no sense because we know for a fact that J.W. Pepper is a racist. 
But and you know what? I will I will give credit though. Like at least like in the previous movie, he's clearly a racist, but they kind of keep it like tasteful racism. <laughs> yeah, like it's implied racism. It's, it's not it's yeah. not fully out there. Yeah. It's, just it's extreme of, it's, it's, subtext. it's extreme prejudice, as it were. It's subtext. In this one, it's like he's clearly racist. He, it, yeah, it was yeah. so culturally insensitive. But here's the thing that will kind of like segue into the women aspect oh, of the movie uh, because I did have this thought and this was kind of like more of a watching the this is more of a franchise mm-hmm. uh, point of view so at one point Bond uh, follows uh, one of our Bond girls uh, to her place and of course it's the classic like he walks into the bathroom and she's taking a shower and she's naked and it's all sexy but one of the things I was thinking about it's like you know the <laughs> The form and allure of the naked woman really loses its luster when you're binging these movies. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you see what I mean? Like, she's a beautiful woman, but at this point, we've seen so many of these movies where it's just like, you're kind of like, okay, she's naked. Like, I feel like I'm a man of science now. Like, I'm a doctor. Like, it's just, like, you just see so many naked people I mean, it doesn't do anything. One of the him. things about binging these movies, I will say, specifically, is that, and it's not to say that, like, you know, all the all these movies pretty much have an issue with its female characters. Like, that's, a, that's just a given at this point. And hopefully, you know, we'll see better female characters. And it, we've had better, we've had worse but specifically, like, the Guy Hamilton trope of his females is such... Like, he specifically has the, oh, they're, like, interesting for a bit and then come become completely well, useless. I had Except the in this mo- movie. I had the, mo- I had the, um, the Cause, moment cause in I- the movie where I said to you, it's like, he just can't let them have a moment. Because it's like, there are things in, like, oh, that's a, that's a moment of competence. Yeah. And I don't want to say agency because, you know, one, even though there are some weird things in it, it's just kind of more of like, like, what's her name? Goodnight, Midnight? Goodnight. Mary Goodnight. Yeah, Mary Goodnight. It's it's kind of like, one thing I will say about that character is that they don't tread into, I know, like we're, we're like 20 minutes in and we haven't even talked about the golden gun. Right. <laughs> but it's like, but what I will say is like, they don't, like that relationship isn't creepy. It's just a poorly yeah, written character. It's useless. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's well, just a poorly written character, I mean, more, more so than anything. Just because we're this is the last guy movie, so kind of getting into some guys' tropes. Like I, I would, Terrence, I would say that all the Bond movies are guy movies. <laughs> hey oh, hey. I mean, like at least like the the, Man, Ter- woo, woo, woo. the Terrence Young movies have like some stuff, like Domino and uh, Tatiana, like have some better moments. And I don't want to talk about Lewis Gilbert a little bit because we have more of his movies coming up. But specifically, like, the Guy movies, the Guy Hamilton movies, just have a problem with just presenting, you know, consistently presenting its women as these characters, uh, like, actual characters. And he's had some moments of success. Like I said, I like the beginnings of the Pussy Galore character. I do think Tiffany Chase has her moments. But especially the past two films, it's just like his, his Guy Hamilton's the way that he uses these female characters is just not good. And I'm going to go on a little rant right now. Okay. Like, okay. So the use of women in you only live twice is a lot more sexist at the end of the night, but this is the most useless 
pair of female characters we've seen in these Bond movies. This is the because at least at least in You Only Live Twice, the characters you feel like there's an element to them in the plot that like makes sense. This movie you could completely get rid of the roles of Mary Goodnight and Andrea Anders and have lose absolutely nothing. You can even tell because even the Bond character seems annoyed that both of them are there. I mean, like, Mary Goodnight. Several like, times. first of all, like, it's not even like, you don't even have that, like, meet cute moment with, like, you don't even have that moment where it's like, oh, like, Bond meets a woman on this exotic adventure. And, yeah. Like, they, they kind of are at odds for a little bit, but then, like, oh, they're going to have some fun, right? Right. Like, Domino. Pussy. Oh my god, uh, we didn't Tatiana. we didn't even mention that he makes one of them wait in the closet while Mary, he's yeah. fucking the other, other one. Yeah. And then when Goodnight, who's the one in the closet, you know, gets upset about she gets upset about it in the way it's like, oh man, you 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 looked at that other girl at the party. Like yeah. that's how much she gets mad about it. But then also like he, how dare he, Nick? How dare, dare he? He he he, he, said, he literally says at one point, "Oh, don't worry, you'll get your chance one day." <laughs> what? How just dare like, you? It's just, the, the Mary Goodnight character <laughs> pisses me off watching it. She just like there is no reason for her to be in this movie. Bond doesn't want her to be in this movie. I don't want her to be in this movie. You know, the producers are like, oh, let's just put her in a goddamn bikini for the last act. <laughs> Again, like, for, like, no discernible reason. Well, then, and then she's and then, like... And then she's a freaking idiot. Well, but here... Okay, here's what, I, here's what I will say. Because I did have this thought, like, there is a fun character in this. Like, where they go wrong with this is to, like, make... Her the Bond girl, like or like at least the trope of the yeah. Bond girl, where it's like somewhere where Bond's gonna like eventually sleep with her, and that she just wants to fuck Bond. Like that's kind of like how she exists in the movie. But I will say that for a fun kind of action movie with some comedic elements, there is room, and there is the possibility and room for a character who's kind of like uh, like a bumbling comic relief character, yeah. um, which and you know. There's, you know, there is a little bit of sexism and being like, oh, like the naive little girl is like the bumbling thing. But I think like if you just kind of like get like this is kind of a role that you would see like somebody do like a woman or an actress do nowadays. Like you would never have seen this back then. But um, but if you kind of had just strictly played it that way and not like like if it's really just like his partner who happens to be female and she's kind of like a silly like, oh, man, there here I go again. Then it would have played better at least. I, I just think that's just like. Just every time she's on screen, like just an adverse reaction. So like, what, what, who's the who's the other woman? Anders. Yeah, I'm on Adam's character. Yeah, see, like to me, this is where it's like, oh my god, like oh yeah, and her again, same sort of thing. Like <laughs> she has a little bit more of plot device element than Mary Goodnight does, but like at the end of the day, she is just as useless. And her scenes really add nothing to the movie. But, like, hers, to me, I mean, it's all troubling. It's all dated, and none of it's good. But, like, I guess, like, I know it's bad, and I I completely follow everything you're saying. Like, I guess the reason the other stuff I can be like, "Uh, okay, all right, this is dumb. But it's like, all right, they're doing, like, the bumbling thing. And to me, like, there's nothing kind of, like, weird about it because clearly, like, she's into him and things like Mm -hmm. that. Whereas, like, this one, they're going into, like, the thing where Bond, like, 
basically like almost breaks her arm because she's the villain. Like, you know, let's face it. She is the villain. Or and, and, part of the villain. Yeah. Story, and yeah. she interrogates her by almost breaking her arm, smacks her a couple times. And within the same scene goes to get a pair of wine glasses and champagne. And to me, that's the like, come on. Yeah. You and uh, like, oh, this is great. That was actually one of the first scenes uh, that we'll see a couple times over the franchise. Uh, in which Moore had an issue with the way that they were portraying Bond. Yeah. Uh, because he felt that in that situation, his Bond, that was, he f- always felt that that sort of thing of slapping around a woman was more of a Connery thing to do. You're right, right. Uh, maybe in real life. Or, it, it, or, but it's or, really. But it's, but it's like he felt like his his Bond would have more, he's a charmer. He would have talked and would have interrogated the more, like, more would use his yeah. words and his charm. I mean, to, maybe, to get it's, the words maybe it's naive of me, but I really think, like, if you just take the out the whole these two have to fuck each other at one point then it wouldn't feel as gross no, it, it is it's it's very true because um, like in all fairness we did just see him like two scenes earlier do a pretty effective interrogation where he's going to shoot a guy point blank in the nuts yeah so it's like so that's where you know so he to portray like a james bond that is just really like you know hard-edged and will resort to things like that is fine but it's like you have to add like the weird sex element, yeah. which maybe some people would argue is like that's kind of the tension yeah. of James Bond. But it uh, isn't because yeah. there's no tension in this I, movie. I did say like if you were just slightly – if you had a slightly different point of view in this James Bond universe, like I would say that James Bond himself would seem no more evil than Spectre. Yeah. Like he's just going around mm-hmm. slapping no, and fucking a, it's women. it's a good point. Like it's – yeah. <laughs> can, uh, I, can I have – can I say a note about more? Sure. Since we're talking about him. Despite yeah. this – I'm still on board with more. I, no, I like more. I mean, He's I, so confident in the role. I think, yeah. I Even though I do have kind of like a little bit, but I'll wait till you say your part. Then yeah, I'll I mean, I think it. like all, all this stuff, there's a there's an element of this movie specifically that's hard to talk about because I just know what's coming up as, as a Bond fan and just how much even better more gets and how much better his movies get uh, from going forward. But yeah, more, it's... It is. You're right. It's the confidence he exudes, and it's the personality that he brings to the character. Mm-hmm. Again, it's kind of that proof where it's like, you know, Lansenby was fine, but it was like I think the issue with Lansenby at the end of the day was that he was trying to be too much, kind of in that Connery right, realm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what more brings and what makes more successful and what makes all the future Bonds successful is that they bring their really their own spin to it. And more again seems like he's always having fun doing this. He always has fun talking about or had fun talking about these movies. And I think that this is not one of my favorite more performances, but it still is good. Yeah. Uh, Nick, we are, we are, we are running out of time and we haven't talked about the golden gun. We got to talk about the golden gun. Like, so like, Scarama again too many quirks he has this thing where he pulls out multiple pieces of his gun and assembles his gun but why is he hiding the golden gun from somebody well, that's the thing because you would think they would have a scene where like oh like we're gonna search you for weapons like oh like because <laughs> essentially to to talk about this plot line because we want to talk about i want to talk about the other thing that we talked about during the movie uh scaramongo is hired by this other like basically very rich asian man right uh, to get the solar plexus the solar flare whatever it's called uh and pierre manga is at his estate and basically is like yeah well we're i'm gonna go hiding because bond knows i'm here and blah 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 and scare is 
like putting together this gun. It's like it's a it's a fountain pen, a lighter, and a lighting case, like all come together yeah. to put the gun. But the thing is, is like you think there would be a scene where it's like, oh, like I don't want weapons in my in my place, so right, I'm gonna yeah. search you for weapons. But they don't have that scene. He just has this thing where he's like, Oh, I'm just gonna put the gun together. Right. And and the guy is in the same room and he's clearly assembling a gun. <laughs> like that's like, the and, thing. And, yeah, and the other guy is like clearly looking at Scaramanga. Like they're having a conversation. Yeah, and but the thing what's like dumb about it, like why does he have to assemble the gun? Like, that's why it's like, maybe it's kind of like, I kind of got on board with it because as the movie went on, I got on board with Scaramanga's just kind of like this megalomaniac, like, kind of like over-the-top villain. So maybe this is just kind of like his little quirk. He does have a third nipple, after all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, he could have just easily have just taken out the gun and shot him. Like, he doesn't yeah. need... And then he shoots the guy, disassembles <laughs> the gun, puts it away, and then leaves the guy. And, the, like, the guy's, like, uh, assistant. assistant comes in. He's like, oh, what happened? And he's like, oh, he, uh, like, um, he he's no longer a problem. I'm in charge now. He, he resigned. Yeah, he resigned. I'm in like, charge of this company now. But the thing is, like, does Scaramanga think because he disassembled a gun that nobody's going to suspect that he killed? You clearly killed that guy in there. <laughs> also, killing someone does not give you automatic ownership of their yeah, company. Yeah, I think that there's some paperwork. There's some that paperwork. <laughs> there's board meetings. Yeah. There's like stockholders. Okay, I got to talk about Scaramanga's plan. Yeah, we got to talk okay, about this. So, like, and then we got to wrap up. But it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I'll just have my final point of like why I did like this movie. That's uh, how okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, so we get to the island, which I got to say, the actual set piece of the island is beautiful. Like, beautiful location. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it, the fact that it had been kind of undiscovered at that time is yeah. a, is a gold mine. It's one of the hallmarks, I think, of what the Bond franchise. They really mine a lot out of their exotic locales. Right. Yeah. So what they do is that so they finally find Scaramanga's secret base, in which Scaramanga reveals that he's been working with these these basically these energy people to acquire what's essentially a solar gun, mm-hmm. which which uh, really just confused me because the way that this gun is, it looks like it's built into the island. Yes. And it also looks like because it's activated by a little kind of like a dish that reflects the island, the the sun Indiana Jones style mm-hmm. into the gun. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but wait, if he acquired that, it looks like it was built here. But Nick, that's not what bothers me. Nick, do you know what bothers me? This, ladies and gentlemen, is what inspired the podcast. <laughs> this point that Will's about this, to make this really is this why is. we wanted, why I pushed to do this. Because I, I guess I should say I had seen this movie before, yes. and we kind of like watch it just as a reminder. But he has a giant gun that can shoot like basically solar lasers and blow up things, but the gun isn't golden. Like, he says at one point, now I'm the man with the golden gun. No, you're not. It's a giant silver gun. You moron. (laughs) My thing is, and I did go back. I did go back because we missed this. But he does say he's just going to sell. Basically, he's inherited all this, and he's going to sell it off to the highest bidder. But, like, what is the pitch? (laughs) All right, here is a bunch of energy stuff that probably can't be removed from this room. Right. So... Oh, I might tell you like the plans and how to make it, but you are still very limited in where you can put it and what you can do with it. Here's a giant laser gun that has to basically sit in the ground. Yeah, if you build it in like your Empire State Building, you might be able to shoot down a building or two, 
But like, what are you gonna? What would a megalomaniac do with also, that? Also, solar- it seems very like fragile too, because it's like even if a cloud gets in the way of the sun, like the gun doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So it's not even like foolproof. Like I thought, like he was going to. Basically, his new like he was going to charge people a million dollars to bring them to the island, and then in which he would shoot them with a giant cannon. But again, like, why would anybody do that? I just, know. Like, it just there's no reason that anybody would want to buy this equipment. But like, Nick, I think Scaramanga's thinking like it's going to be this big play. He's going to get millions of dollars, and then he'll get all these rich people there. And it's like, uh, oh, 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 okay. Uh, I'll give you five bucks for like, because Scaramanga also like again he inherited all this stuff. And he like pretty much knows how to use all of it very well. Uh, Nick, he um, but you know that those are all really good points. But I really do think the thing that you're missing though is that he is the man with the golden gun, and he has a giant gun, and it's not gold. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. I, 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 I don't under I don't under, how is that not the first thing? That's why you make the movie. What I did like though, um, is that I did like that he kind of has. Like these big like things with the gun and everything, but like his real true passion is that he just wants to be an assassin that kills uh, basically another and he wants famous to, assassin. He wants I to did like James that. I, I have to be I think, honest. No, like, I like okay. that. So that dinner scene that they have before the duel mm-hmm. is good. Yeah, and it r- reminded me a lot of that Doctor No scene where Doctor No and Connery and I think like Moore and Lee have a good chemistry together well, but, the, but that like, ne- the next scene after that yeah well real yeah. quick i was gonna say it kind of reminded me of like one of the things that was refreshing about the uh like uh skyfall with silva in that movie is like they kind of made it not like a world dominating villain even though like he he kind of did that freelance but now he's kind of got like other kind of either personal vendettas or other things uh going on that makes him a villain i liked in this one that yeah scaramanga is a world assassin and he's like investing in you know solar guns but really all he just wants to do is kill people like mm-hmm. he, like not even on a grand scale he just likes to be an assassin and he just wants to assassinate james bond so <laughs> why did i say he wants to assassinate so my i mean my final point we're gonna wrap up yeah but this is really gonna go into what i just don't like about this movie okay also, Nick Knack gets trapped in a, in a suitcase. Yeah, so the, the, they have they have the thing where like Nick Knack comes back to like kill Bond, but Bond just traps him in a suitcase and like he's gonna turn him into MI6. But basically, so they have this dinner and Bond and Scaramanga agreed to have like a duel. Scaramanga just wants to be able to say that he killed Bond. That's really what he wants. So they have this duel that ends up in in Scaramanga's fun house. Yeah. And to me, this duel. And this battle at the funhouse, yeah, is so unsatisfying. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. And I just think that that to me is kind of the whole movie for me, mm. because I think of like my favorite Bond scenes that we've seen so far, right? Like the 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 fight on the train and in, in From Russia with Love, the Ashton Martin chase, the Fiona at the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Club where she's here, they're dancing and all the people are coming in. Uh, it's just stuff like that. Uh, you know, the the bobsled chase in in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, the ending to Diamonds Are Forever, even the uh, uh, some of the stuff early on in, in Live and Let Die, they they're all like great directed scenes of tension, and you know that Bond's gonna get out of it, but there's this sense of like there's the build up, there's the kind of the energy to it that's like oh man, this is this is dramatic and it's it's full of tension and mm-hmm. full of life. And to me, the thing about live and let die, or it's not live and let die. The thing about man with the golden gun 
that I just can't get into is I just feel every scene is just so flat to me mm. and just directed so flat, written so flat. And there's just, there is no, like, there's no of those great moments of tension. Mm. Like, I'll even give that credit to Thunderball. As much as Thunderball has structural nonsense and structural issues to it, at least the second half of that movie kind of builds up to something mm. and builds up to a moment. Yeah. Like, the moment that Bond kills Scaramanga, it just feels like he's just disposing of just another henchman and it doesn't none of the scenes really build up to like that moment yeah not even the boat the boat chase uh, on the rivers of bangkok don't doesn't do that the early stuff with the bond uh doesn't really do it's just there's there's it's just a flat movie to me Mm -hmm. and that's why i just can't get behind it and that's why i just think it's it's really low on my bond scale I mean, I you know what I I won't disagree with you. I think that in terms of any of that action and tension, like I don't I I completely agree with you. Like none of that's there. Yeah. But I will say like it's it's not as flat to me because it does have some of like the weird like personality stuff that I do like in Bond stuff. I mean, it's got cool Bond locations. They got like MI6 has that awesome base that's in a sunken ship. Mm-hmm. Like that's that is, that is cool. Yeah. I mean, like to me, like that's the kind of stuff like that's automatically cool. And, and the the movie was peppered with little things like JW that. Peppered? Yeah, oh boy. Uh, it, it but it, it is peppered with a lot of different stuff like that. That like I mean, listen. At the end of the day, this isn't a great movie. No. Um, and I think that this was. But I still think that this at least had, for me, still enough momentum of like, oh, it's like one of Bond's many adventures. And it had mm-hmm. just those little, I think, a little bit of just, uh, yeah. bits of goofy things in there to make it at least in a slightly more engaging watch than what's it than, than uh, Live and Let Die was, which just kind of lost me completely. Well, it's funny because it's just, like, just to kind of end this, it's just we basically have complete opposite ideas of these movies because live and let die to me is that bond kind of silliness and weirdness yeah. and stuff like baron Samedi and you know mr big stool roll and kind of their stuff in there and the voodoo and the fucking futures and stuff like that See, like, i that, felt that, like that this... stuff like to me is a lot more of that kind of fun like absurd silly like oh this is like just kind of weird and wacky whereas this one i just felt like the weird and wacky just didn't really it didn't have that like feeling to me it just felt but you like know, but you know honestly what i would say and i honestly felt this way watching this movie i felt like this movie knew what it was like i honestly felt like you know even though you may not agree with the choices even though they may not work i do feel like they were going for like you know good night being like they were playing they were playing the ang- the comedic angle even if it didn't work but they were playing the comedic angle of she is a little bit bumbling and, yeah. and things like that and i think that they were aiming for that way where it's a little bit more innocent i think that they were aiming for like this should be goofy we're having fun with this and you know we're going to have the villain that's more of a big personality and not like there was you're right there really isn't anything like earnest about it yeah. but and i you know maybe that's what i responded to is like you know that they kind of threw earnestness out and just Perhaps. kind of went for this for me at least a specific uh shade of goofy for me um you know i i i definitely liked it more than the last one i don't know where it ranks yeah. amongst them this is but like, i mean this is this was fine to yeah. me i don't know this is just by the bottom of my list it may even be below thunderball for all i know well nick i i i uh, was debating out of fun but not out of passion so um you know i won't disagree no, yeah heartily okay. <laughs> 
Anyway, um, do we have anything in the post-release of we this? We do have a couple things. In cool. Let's so. let's hear it. All right. So film... let's hear about the post-release of the man with the golden gun. All right. Uh, by the way, the uh, character, the uh, the character of the uh, the uh, the kung fu guy you like so much is yeah. Lieutenant Hip. Oh, that's his like character that's his name. Character name, yeah. I want my Lieutenant Hip. Yeah. A James Bond story. All righty. So, uh, film releases on December 19th, 1974 in the worldwide release. Uh, this is going to be one of those funny things because this is always noted as one of the lowest grossing Bond movies of all time. Interesting. Okay. Uh, it is the fourth lowest grossing Bond movie of all time. Now, do you think that that is strictly a quality thing or was there something in kind of like the trend uh, of movies well, at the time? I mean, there is... There's a couple things to say about it. Okay. One, from what I've kind of researched, because of the rushed nature, getting back to kind of the rushed nature of this movie, this didn't have as big of a marketing push mm. as previous Bond movies did. So that might be how it goes. But this is the fourth lowest grossing Bond movie of all time. It made $96 million worldwide. <laughs> Because that's the thing. I That's the fact everybody brings up, that it's the fourth lowest grossing Bond movie of all time. And the ones below it are like Dr. No and From Russia With Love, which were the first two. Mm-hmm. So that's like right before the franchise was big. And Honor Majesty's Secret Service was was the last in B movie. Th- I mean, it's like it had a $7 million Sorry, budget. Sorry, that sounds like, ba- uh, like a movie based off a cartoon. The Lazenby movie. <laughs> uh, it still made $96 million worldwide on a $7 million budget. So it's another big proof of like, these, at least in this era of Bond, these movies aren't going to do poorly enough to like yeah. actually bomb. Yeah. It might be like the lowest grossing Bond movie and even like adjusted for inflation, it's like the fifth lowest growing Bond movie like ever made. But it's still like a success. The bigger deal is that it only made the $21 million in the United States. Mm, so yeah. in previous like Bond films, you know, those the United States accounted for like up to 50 and even sometimes 60% of the complete box office. This one was a lot lower of an intake. Uh, and oh, so we're it, seeing the classic what we see uh, now, where it's like an international uh, yeah. picked it up a little bit. All right, so I have some reviews real quick. I want to hear them because I have reviews real quick because we actually have some a little bit more aftermath stuff that deals with like kind of where the transition comes for the franchise. Cool. All right, so uh, this movie was pretty much torn apart upon release. Uh, it was not well reviewed okay. at all. Uh, Derek Malcolm in the Guardian uh, said that the script is the limpest of the lot. And more as 007 is the last man on earth to make it sound better than it is. Um, let's see. What else we got here? We got uh, um, Tom Mine of The Observer said, This series, which has been scraping the bottom of the barrel for some time, <laughs> is now through the barrel. With depressing borrowings from Hong Kong Kung Fu movies, not to mention even more depressing echoes of the carry-on uh, comedy smut. Uh, this sat, this film is sadly lacking in lit, uh, sorry, wit or imagination. Mm, yeah, okay. well, you could have said this film is not lit. <laughs> uh, and then um, Nora Sayer of the uh, New York Times said that this film suffered from the poverty of invention and excitement and uh, said that uh, the only positive point was Lee's sinister vitality. It cuts through the narrative dough. Okay. So right. generally, the... The movie was panned. So, th- is this the first like critical lashing a Bond movie much, has gotten? Yeah. Yes, like in it terms of way. a 
full because the movies have been mixed. I mean, yeah. the other than like from Rush with Love and Goldfinger are like the heights of like the best reviewed mm-hmm. up to this point. But this is the first one that's really like a lashing out that people are just like all across the board, generally among Bond fans and among the critics. Scaramanga, Christopher Lee's performance, and even to an extent, there's some love for Nick Knack. That's what gets the most love. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just still considered by many on many lists, will be it, put near the bottom. Is Goldfinger, is that what it's called? Goldfinger? Goldfinger, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, is Goldfinger, like, so far the one that's been, like, a hit? In like, terms in, of like, a critical hit? Like, what is, like, the, which one is the movie where it's, like, everybody loves James Bond? Goldfinger? Yeah. Uh, and to an extent from Russia with Love. Okay, are, cool. are, are, right. the, are the Are the heights. Okay, cool. It hasn't really... I mean, Thunderball at the time, to an extent, was still well-reviewed as well. Yeah. But, like, Goldfinger is the one that everybody remembers. Well, I'm just saying that because it's not like... Because we, we've seen that, like, you know, people have had mixed things to say about all the movies. But I'm like, well, it can't be for all of them. Like, yeah. there's got to be at least one or two of yeah, these no, that people love. No, it's from Russia with yeah. Love and Goldfinger at this okay, point. Okay, gotcha. Because, cool, cool, cool. Uh, so there are more reviews, but again, I want to get to quickly these Bond and Transition. Okay. Because... This was very close to actually being the final Bond movie uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, The main one being that Harry Saltzman, co-producer, sells his 50% share in the Bond franchise. Uh, Saltzman uh, was in a lot of debt at the time. uh, So Broccoli was pretty much focused 100% on the Bond films. That's all he lived for was making these Bond movies. This was his passion in life is to make this series of films. Saltzman was a little more ambitious. He wanted to branch out. He bought Technicolor. He bought a French film company. He tried to make a sci-fi musical in the style of Greece outside of Bond. Uh, he kept borrowing money from Swiss banks to try to make all these investments work. And eventually it all kind of hit him back. Uh, and Saltzman you know, was originally the one who bought these rights. And the fact that kind of losing him and putting this into litigation really kind of put the Bond franchise into jeopardy. Uh, A lot of this happened behind closed doors as the relationship between Broccoli and Saltzman deteriorated. Mm -hmm. There were reports that Saltzman tried the backdoor sale of his shares to Paramount, which would have caused a whole bunch of distribution mess. Uh, He finally just sells his 50% share to United Artists, but there is litigation... uh, Saltzman at one point wanted to dissolve Eon officially and sell off the bond rights. Broccoli fought that. They fought in court. And it was a very tough battle for the Bond team because Saltzman was, a lot of ways, the negotiator of the team. Broccoli was more of the creative side. He was one that was kind of pushing for these films to go bigger and bigger. And while Saltzman had creative ideas too, he was the one that would be in the meetings, making the financial deals, making the, the, the contracts and stuff like that. So losing Saltzman in that kind of case really put the Bond franchise kind of in a state of we don't know what's going to happen. Especially since that, like, this film, you know, even though it made a lot of money, it, there is that perception of, like, oh, this is the lowest, the fourth lowest grossing movie. Are these movies finally kind of going away? Like, right. Are people actually losing interest to the point where there could be a bomb in the future? So there's a lot of discussion about, like, how can we continue the Bond franchise? And through that, Guy Hamilton leaves uh, the Bond team. He, he does start developing what would become the next movie, uh, but he is offered the director's chair for a movie called Superman. Uh, but he ends up not directing Superman no. <laughs> because uh, he ends up getting uh, pointed out by the government for tax evasion. 
And so when Superman decides to film in London, he can no longer step in London without fear of getting arrested. (laughs) Uh, So, but Guy believes the Bond franchise, and I think he's left his mark. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think think so. Bond, Guy was a big believer in the comedy side of the Bond franchise. Uh, You know, I think he knew what he was doing on this movie. And, and, and I just, with the whole of movies, I think sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But I think that his influence of like, what it's a thing that people remember is like kind of the one-liners and the quips and the comedy. And while there is an extent like that stuff in the Terrence Young movies, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really Guy and Goldfinger that brings that element of Bond out to the forefront yeah. and really defines that element of the character. And yes, I think Guy's female characters are very poor for the most part with some exceptions. Uh, and I think that sometimes, especially in the Mount Golden Gun, but in other movies, I think that he can kind of get a little too, you know, crazy for his own game. Mm-hmm. The stuff with the, the slide whistle, as funny as it is, it's kind of like he's kind of overthinking things yeah. and making this humor. Or genius. <laughs> but I do think that, like, Guy Hamilton as a director of the Bond franchise is very influential and just should be noted as such. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, listen, like, even if they have iffy track records, you know, somebody who, you know, you're right, like, the the goofiness and, like, the one-liners is a big part of it. Even though, like, this has one of the most, this is probably one of the most botched one-liners I've heard in any movie in a long time in which uh, Bond has a moment where he's in a boat and he is fending off uh, some guys with a propeller and his line is, that's what we call a Mexican screw-off, gentlemen. And I'm like, there's no such thing as a Mexican <laughs> screw-off. That made, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was odd. Well, that has been uh, with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the first times you've really liked disagreed i guess on the podcast yeah but again not really passionately because i I, I get what you're saying but still yeah (laughs) but still it's still one of the first times again i I had a good time with it i you know i ultimately think it's fine i don't think this is leagues worse than anything we've seen thus far if i I, if i would say it's even worse which i I don't eagerly await your co-host and upside chewing me out for my thoughts on this movie (laughs) i'm sure he is he's ready foaming at the mouth he's probably already posted something on the facebook page at this point (laughs) Uh, so quickly, quickly, any roles for Harrison Ford in this movie? Ooh, uh, who is Harrison Ford in this movie? Um, uh, I don't know. Okay, he's not actually in this movie, but there will be a backstory behind the ship that MI6 is do is in there. Uh, is has their, ah, the ship that MI6 has the base in. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford was the captain of, and his. And his mural is on, is, the wall. is on the wall. Mine is also his portrait is on mine the wall. Is also part of a backstory. <laughs> okay, he's the guy that shot Scaramanga's elephant friend. Uh, at, uh, okay, at, at the right. circus. Okay, and all then right. Scaramanga because Scaramanga like is like, oh, I had an elephant friend. Uh, he died, and I got the love of killing from that. Or um, alternatively, he is like there, like James Bond. You find out is actually only practice for his true. Uh, his true mark, and that's Harrison Ford. <laughs> He's like, after I kill you, James Bond, I'll be able to kill Hans. Scaramanga <laughs> shot first. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. All, All right. right, well, uh, is that yeah. is that James Bond for this week? That's James Bond for this week. Next time, we are going from one of the least favorite Bond movies to one of the most well-reviewed Bond movies. Oh, okay. All right. It's going to be 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. Yes. 
But uh, next time we are not doing James Bond. No, we are, we're doing Godzilla. We're doing Godzilla in which Nick strap in for a monster extravaganza. We are uh, releasing this, uh, like, well, it'll be a day past Halloween. Uh, but that will not stop us from experiencing a true monster mash. Nick, I'm going to show you a real treat in Destroy All Monsters. It's going to be a right around Thanksgiving feast. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That is true. All right. Well, that that's it. All We're right, done. Let's We're do good. the plugs. Facebook.com slash Bonzilla 007. Twitter.com slash Bonzilla 007. Like and subscribe to iTunes and SoundCloud. Email us, bonzillapod at gmail.com. Com. Oh, that was the that was the probably the best one you've done. I have not, I did not screw up at all. Yeah. Um. And you can find me at WAFC uh, Studios on Twitter. Um. And you can find me at my other podcast, uh, the Upside Fans, in which, uh, this entire uh past October we did our annual Spook Timber, in which it's a month filled with uh, uh topics regarding horror movies of all kinds, uh, including a feature length fan commentary of one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, the horror film Get Out. And of course, don't forget my favorite of your podcasts, House Elves and Ewoks. Yes, House Elves and Ewoks is which, um, in which we have a very rigid schedule. Yes. Of, uh, and uh, that's just when me and my friend like to talk about either House Elves or Ewoks, and by that we mean Star Wars or Harry Potter. Yeah, and uh, you can find me at Disney and Beyond. Uh, I might start tweeting about Disney stuff again, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Yeah, very, very uh, unlikely, you know, given that your name is Disney yeah. and Beyond. Very <laughs> All right, we're done. We're good. I'm Will. All right. No, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm I'm Will. I'm Nick, and he is the man. Wait. I'm the man with the golden gun. Yeah.